You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good. I'd like to, before I get started, just take a good look around. Let's see. This is the early morning crowd. Any snoozers in the back? Nope, everybody's awake, praise God. Well, listen, before we get started, do me a huge favor. I want you to just turn to your neighbor on either side and tell them, good morning. It's nice and simple this morning. Good morning. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly excited, like through and through. I've been thinking about this week after week in preparation for our time together. And uh, what really blesses me is I absolutely love God, but I really, really, really love Grace Covenant. Can somebody say amen to that? It has been such a blessing to be a part of this church. Uh, My wife and I and our two children really have just enjoyed every aspect of the ministry. And listen to this. What it really boils, boils down to is we've enjoyed you all. You guys have been such a blessing to us. It's interesting when you come to a new church, you want to get to know people. The thing I love so much is everyone is so warm and welcoming here. So thank you so much. In fact, can you give it up for yourselves for just being people of God who love God like that? (laughs) Praise God. Well, hey, we're going to jump into, as Pastor Farrell mentioned, a brand new series today. And uh, it's a two-part series, and I'm really, really excited about the fact that Pastor Farrell and I get to kind of ping-pong this thing for these two weeks because the topic of unity is a priority within the body of Christ. Many of you have heard it said this way, said from the scripture in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when the people of God or God's people dwell together in unity. This is a beautiful thing. And I'm I'm thinking about the fact that as we as a church grow out and grow up in godliness, we get to grow out and grow up in unity. Amen? So listen to this. I want to read this to you. And you have this in your notes as well. But uh, it says, unity in diversity is a concept of unity without uniformity and diversity without fragmentation. It allows us to bring our unique differences together to honor God for kingdom effectiveness. I don't know about you, but when I think about the topic of unity, if we're not careful, we can slip into the site of uniformity. Everyone has to be exactly the same. Everyone has to be identical. But when you think about diversity within unity, you recognize that there's no need for uniformity because you get the opportunity to walk in this united front or this united picture where we get to move together. So it's, it's diversity without uniformity, diversity without fragmentation. Now, I'm from California, and you guys know this. In California, there are these things called earthquakes. Anybody ever been through an earthquake? Seven of us. (laughs) Earthquakes are interesting because they come out of nowhere. Like you are minding your own business and all of a sudden the earth begins to shake. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember this earthquake when I was just a young boy. I was in middle school and uh, it was in in the 80s, so we'll just throw it back there. But I remember being in middle school and I remember I was asleep in the middle of the night having the best dream of all time. So things were good. And then something began to shake and I woke up. And it took me a while to get my bearings because I was trying to realize what was happening, like trying to understand what's going on. The earth was shaking. And I remember my family, all of us simultaneously kind of jumped out of the bed and converged on the hallway in our house and all started following my stepdad. And we followed him down the hallway and out the front door and into the courtyard of where we live, like the front area. And we got out there and my mom's like, where are we going? And he's like, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, he's just as discombobulated as can be. But I remember we came back inside and we all slept in the living room that night and we began to watch the news. And you can see 
pictures of various places where the, the, the fault line had really just split open the ground and the earth had begun to fragment because of the shaking. It was so violent. That was the picture that came back to mind when I started studying and preparing for this week. This fragmentation that can take place if we are not careful when we talk about the concept of diversity. Diversity is a beautiful thing, but in the body of Christ, diversity can be had and celebrated without fragmentation. Can somebody say amen to that? So we're going to talk about the simple things like the priority of unity in the church. We're going to talk about the blessing of unity in the church, but we're also going to talk about the challenges of unity in the church. How many of you know there's, there are challenges in life? <laughs> just, they, they, they just kind of come. But we can overcome those challenges and we can walk in unity and ultimately God can be glorified and the church can be more effective. Amen? Amen. Listen to this quote by Paul Bilheimer. He says this, the continuous widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. Think about that for a moment. The scandal of the ages is to divide or fragment the church. You know why? Because we're better together. We're stronger together. And Satan has a little bit of a clue to realize if I can keep them separate, they cannot unite and be as powerful as God intended for them to be. How many of you would say, not on my watch? Not on my watch. Amen. I want you to do something with me. Stretch your fingers a little bit because we're going to get into the Bible. Is that okay? We're going to get into the Word. Just stretch them out a little bit. There we go. Crack knuckles, whatever you need to do. Let's get ready because I want to have us turn quickly to a couple of pages. But I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 17. John 17. And as you're turning there, I want to pray a quick and simple prayer over you. So go ahead and turn to John 17 and I'll pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have laid these things out in your word in such a way that we can have instruction and understanding. We ask right now that the teacher, the Holy Spirit, would teach us today, guide us into all truth. If there are areas in our lives where we are not in alignment with your word, we pray today that you would gently show those things to us so that we can make whatever adjustments are necessary so we can follow you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. John 17, I'm going to be reading out of verse number 20. Going to follow along as I read. It says this, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking, he's praying actually, and he's been praying about his disciples, the apostles we know them as now. But listen to where he, what he prays as we pick up in verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. Speaking of the original 12, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23 says this, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want to point out a couple things here as we dive in. I want to point out first that the unity that Jesus prayed for wasn't an organizational unity. <laughs> it was a spiritual unity based on living in Christ. As I was studying this, this kept hitting me over and over again. He's praying about his people, what we call the church. The world is searching for unity right now. We, we see that all over the place, right? We've seen that for the last few years. The world is searching for unity, but Jesus is giving us some insight by saying, listen, as I am one in you, Father, 
and we are one together, I want them to be one in us as well. It's in Christ that we tap into the power to be able to walk in unity. When we try to walk in unity outside of Jesus, it's left up to our own strength, our own understanding. But when we tap into him and who he is, then this prayer then applies to us. Lord, may the church, the body of Christ, be people who walk in unity. Amen? The unity that Jesus prayed for is also modeled in the Trinity. I love it here how he's saying, Father, just as you and I are one, just as we are one, let them be one. This is not something that Jesus is saying, let them experiment with it. He's saying, this is what we do. Let them do this also. Let them walk in unity. And the unity that Jesus prayed for would then position us, the church, for greater effectiveness. Listen to what he says here in verse number 23. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now here it is. Then, look at your neighbor and say, only then. Then and only then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's something about the church walking in unity that broadcasts to the world that Jesus is God. There's something about us walking in unity that preaches a beautiful gospel and confirms the fact that God sent Jesus. Why? Because as we mentioned, unity is so hard to come by. The world is trying to find it now, but it can only be truly had in Christ. So I remember I was reading a leadership book not too long ago, and in this leadership book, the, the author gave a story of a, a company that took their leadership team and they went off site and they did these, these team building exercises. And one of the exercises they did, they divided their team into groups and they had to have a competition to build these little trinkets. And every team, there weren't much instructions given, they just had to figure out how they would build these trinkets. And as they began building, there was this one team that stood out, but they didn't stand out for the right reason. They stood out because they could not win round after round after round. They just kept losing. In fact, the winning team was producing two and sometimes three times more trinkets than the losing team. Well, somebody on the losing team had this bright idea. They said, let me, let, let's take a pause. Give us 15 minutes. Let us take our team and let's talk for a bit. So they did that. They took a 15-minute break. This team went over to the side and they began to talk about this exercise and how they could get better at producing these trinkets. And somebody in the group said this, I'm not so good at such and such part, but I'm really good at organizing the various pieces. Okay, well then how about you focus on doing that? Someone else in the group said, I'll help her, I'll help her. So she says, great, you guys jump in together and you only organize all the pieces. Another person says, hey, I'm really good with the glue. I have a steady hand. I'm good at gluing them together. I'll focus on that. Great, you focus on that. Anyone else want to help? A couple of people jumped on that team. And finally, the other team said, hey, I'm not really good at any of that, but I am a great quality control person. I can look at everything and make sure it's done right. Excellent. You guys, the rest of you, you guys do that. So 15 minutes is up, they all get back together, they begin this competition again, and this team, listen to this, produced four times as much as the next place or the second place team. Now this was the team that was losing by two to three times, now they increase so much that they're producing four times as much as second place. Why? They rallied and identified everyone's giftings, they unified around a vision, and they ran in it. I want you to hear me today. I believe with all my heart, we'll see even more so in the scripture in just a moment, that God has uniquely gifted each one of us, but it's without unity, we are gifted, but not effective. 
But when we choose unity, we choose to celebrate the diversity of gifts that God has given. When we choose, instead of looking down on one another, to celebrate and bring one another up, we can then unify around the big picture, what God has created us to do, and we become way more effective on earth than we could ever be any other way. But how many of you know it takes humility? Humility to say, wait a minute, let's, let's pause, wait a minute, where are you strong? I'm, I'm not very strong there. You're strong there? Here, you take the front seat in that place. But I believe that when we humble ourselves in that way and we walk in this type of unity, the world looks in and says, we don't know how to find it, but the church has it. Maybe we should lend an ear to them. And what a platform that becomes for the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we get the opportunity to do what Jesus did. Listen to this. Jesus' final prayer, as we just read, was that his followers would be known by their unity. How many of you think that if Jesus was praying it, we should be praying it? (laughs) That we would be known by their unity. In fact, we are charged as the body of Christ to work for unity. How many know that unity is work? Don't you wish it was easy, though? <laughs> There's certain things that I do at my, my house. Like yesterday, I was cleaning out the garage. Come on, somebody. You guys know that. Depending on, depending on your organizational structure, sometimes that's a lot of work. I was cleaning out the garage yesterday, and I realized, man, this is work. We're taking boxes down off of shelves. We're going through things. We're, we're donating things. We're putting things back in order, putting things back up on the shelves. I mean, it took some good work yesterday. Well, unity is work. It takes effort. I want you to see this here. Flip over quickly to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four. I told you we'll be moving around in our Bible a little bit today. I hope you're all right with that. Ephesians chapter four. I love what Paul says here. Verse number three, he says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I'll read that again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit Through the bond of peace. To make every effort simply means that we give focus and energy to achieve unity. In fact, if you do any study of the original language, this make every effort, if you look behind there, I won't even pretend to say the Greek word because I don't want to just completely destroy that. But I'll say this, it literally means to strain every nerve. Strain every nerve to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. I remember when I first enlisted in the Air Force, I was about two years in, stationed in Great Falls, Montana. I was having an amazing time serving our country. I met some amazing people. And one of my friends, his name was Andrew Jackson, a great guy, uh, just great heart, just a, a solid guy all around. But he was really into working out. I had a couple of friends like this, but Andrew was really into working out. And he was what we called our sweet mate. So we, in our dorms, because we were single at the time, we lived in these dorm rooms that were connected, so they called it a suite. And uh, he would would invite me to the gym, and we'd go work out. And Andrew was a lot stronger than than I was because he had been lifting for a while. So I'm I'm about 19, 20 at the time. And one day we're in the gym, and he goes, today, Marcus, we're going to max out. I'm like, all right, well, tell me, tell me about that. We're going to do more reps than we ever have? He said, no, we're going to lift more weight than we ever had. So I said, okay, excellent. Let's, let's do this. So I'm watching him. I'm his spotter, and he's lifting way more than I could ever lift on the bench. And I'm spotting him, and he's just pushing through. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Well, then it's my turn. So I get on the bench, and he's loading up the plates. And I know what I, I can lift at the time. So he gets to that point, and then he adds more. 
And I'm like, hey, man, I think you're going a little too far. He goes, no, this is just one rep. If you can give this one rep, it's going to push you and help you get to the next level. So I remember I'm on the bench, and I'm like, all right, I'm pumping myself up. He's like, you can do it. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. All right, here we go. So I lay under the weight, and I grab the bar, and he goes, okay, I'm going to help you get it off the bar. And he lifts, and he gets it off, and then it's on me, right? And I'm holding this thing. And how many of you know going down when you're bench pressing is easier than coming up? So I begin to go down, and you know, already I can tell this is much more weight than I've ever been under. So I get to the point where it's time for me to begin to push this weight back up. And as I'm pushing, I didn't realize this, but I was straining every nerve, every nerve. So much so I had clasped my teeth together, and I was biting down like this, and I'm and I'm pushing. He's like, come on, come on. I'm thinking, just spot me, man. Pull the thing up, you know? And I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm gritting my teeth. And before you know it, I get to the very top and I'm shaking and I get there and literally I feel a piece of my bottom tooth just chip off. (laughs) Now you guys are looking close like, is this tooth chipped? We didn't notice that. (laughs) Thank God it was just a small piece and we got the weight up and I'm like, man, what just happened? He's like, you did it. I'm like, no, I did more than it, okay? Like, this is bad. I was straining every nerve so much so that I had to go to the dentist. They had to file my front teeth down (laughs) so they could be flat again. This is not a made-up story. This happened. Why? I was straining every nerve. I was giving it all I had. I want you to hear me today. As Paul is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's being led and he's writing these things. And he's saying, when it comes to unity, make every effort. Strain every nerve. Why? Unity is that necessary. It's that important. We cannot be who God created us to be without it. So we must, as the body of Christ, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice this. We are called, as the body of Christ, to work in unity. In unity. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'm going to just read it. You don't have to flip there this time. Listen to this. Verse number 12 says this. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Notice again, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its members are all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. I love that he clarifies here, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul then goes on to further uh, expound upon this thought. He begins talking about the various body parts and how none of them can say, well, that one's not of any importance or that one's not as valuable. Then he says this in verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Man, can you imagine with me a church with no division, a church that doesn't look at the outward appearance, whether it be gender, whether it be ethnicity, whether it be cultural upbringing or background, but a church that is truly united 
and anticipates with excitement, identifying the various giftings within the body and celebrates once again those differing gifts in such a way that people from all over say, I want to be a part of that type of unity. It's a, it's a place where you feel accepted. It's a place where you don't have to be ashamed. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, it was weird. And it was weird because there were these little things called cliques. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And all the jocks and the football players or the basketball players or whatever, they hung out together. And then all the super smart kids, they all hung out together. And then all those other kids, the ones that just kind of, you know, just wanted to do their own thing, they hung out together. And then depending on what you liked, you kind of just got with your people. Sometimes it would even go as far as your race. This type of person would be here and these type of people would be here and these type of people. It should not be so in the church. In fact, if it's like that in the world, okay, but the world should look in and say, how is it possible? We'll use, we'll use Paul's words that Jews and Greeks and slaves and free, how are they all together living in unity like this? There's so much differences. There's so many differences about them. But look, when they come together surrounded by the nucleus of Christ, there's unity. Can you imagine a place like that? I truly believe with my heart that Grace Covenant is well on its way that we're making steps in that direction, that we're allowing the Lord to lead us, that our pastor has submitted himself to the Lord, our leadership team has submitted themselves to the Lord, and we are working towards that type of unity. But notice, Paul says all these things are so, so that there will not be divisions, cliques in the body of Christ. Oh, don't you love the type of people who love you no matter what? Some of you have grandparents like that. Some of you have parents like that. Some of you are like that, no matter what. My mom was like that. Man, she was just the kind of lady that no matter what, I would call her sometimes just being a knuckleheaded boy, and I'd say, Mom, I messed up. What happened, baby? And I'd tell her the story, and I'm thinking, oh, man, she's going to give it to me. And she'd say, did you talk to Jesus about it? No. <laughs> so I'd start there, right? She'd pray with me. And she goes, Marcus, I love you. I love you. God forgives you. I forgive you. Let's do this. You know, and we move on. It's something about that helped me to let my guard down. So I was even more willing the next time. Oh, mom, I made another mistake. But I kept coming back because I knew how she would receive me. Can we vow to be people like that? No matter what people look like, no matter what they act like, and I can tell you this, in a room of this side, there's some knuckleheads in here. <laughs> but no matter what we act like, no matter what we look like, where we've come from, to be people who are arms open, welcoming with the love of Jesus, saying it doesn't matter what you like or you dislike. If you love Jesus, I love you. Man, I like that. I want to take that home. If you love Jesus, I love you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, listen, I want to talk to you as we prepare to turn the corner here uh, about the blessing of unity because unity is an amazing thing. Unity is a powerful Thing. It's the priority, a priority within the church. It is a necessary thing, but there is a blessing that comes with unity. Now I actually want you to turn here. Psalm chapter 133. I quoted it earlier, but I want us to open it up in the scripture. I want to expound a bit on that. Psalm 133. You guys have heard this. Most of you can quote it as well. But I want to show you some things here. Now you guys know the, the psalmist, David in this case, is writing this beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of ascent. Usually these psalms were, were sung out and declared as they were ascending up the hill to the temple or to worship. But psalm 133 verse 1 says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil 
poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I want you to see something. How good and pleasant. Listen, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I want to just touch on this quickly. It's good and it's pleasant. This is something I thought was so, so interesting about this. The psalmist, depending on what translation you read, one translation says how good and how pleasant. So he uses the word how twice there. How good and how pleasant. Almost as if the psalmist didn't want to give you or give us a measuring rod. He wanted us to have the freedom to measure it as we would. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters are the, the people of God dwell together in unity. This is something that gives us a picture of the goodness and the pleasantness that are combined together when unity is in the room. Now, we've all had things that we would say, hey, this is good. A lot of times when the Bible talks about something being good, it's talking about morally good or righteously good. How morally good or righteously good it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. But also pleasant. I don't know about you guys, but I, with my two kids, there's a lot of noise in my house. Some of you are like, oh, come on, <laughs> right? Well, you guys got up early. Maybe you don't have kids at home. I don't know. But this is the truth. My 10-year-old and my 7-year-old, when they get up, and they usually get up early, when they get up, we, my wife and I, know that they're awake. Rarely are we like, are the kids up? <laughs> like, our, room, our bedroom's on the first floor, theirs is on the second floor. You would think there'd be a little bit of, you know, space enough to where we won't hear. No, we hear it. Especially my son Joshua. He's energetic. He's been like that since he was born. But they get up, and they're singing, and they're screaming, and there's playing, and there's laughter, and it's all this stuff. I've grown to really love it. But how many of you know when you're tired, if you had a late night and, and you're asleep and you're thinking, great, it's the weekend, I might be able to sleep in for an extra 30 minutes, right? Just something. And you hear those type of sounds. How many of you know it's not good or pleasant? <laughs> now, it's good in the sense that you're glad that God woke your children up this morning, but you're also wondering, God, couldn't you have just let them sleep a little longer? But have you ever heard someone sing? Beautifully, please say yes. Our worship team just did a phenomenal job. <laughs> Have you ever heard someone's voice that was almost angelic? And as you hear it, you think, man, that's not only good, that's pleasant. That's truly enjoyable. Notice, when there's unity in the place, it's not only good, it is also pleasant. In fact, David expounds further by saying, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. I love that the Bible confirms the goodness of beards. I think that's cool. But running down on the, I'm kidding, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, I want you to know, God didn't waste any words in the Bible. In fact, when we talk about, when David is talking about this, about the, the, the oil that's running down Aaron's head, why did he use this picture? Well, this oil is a special oil. Aaron is a special person. Aaron is the high priest. 
So Israel would understand this quickly. There's an anointing oil that God gave in the book of Exodus. He spoke specifically of how to mix this together. You take olive oil and four other types of, of, uh, of scents and things, and you put them together, and it mixes and makes this wonderful anointing oil. And it was used to anoint portions of the temple, used to, to anoint the, the head of the high priest and any successor that would follow him. But God said specifically, don't use it. Even if you like the way it smells, don't you dare make it for yourself at home. This is set apart. This is different. This is specifically for these things. And David takes that and says, I see this. When there's unity, it's like that precious anointing oil that gives off such a beautiful fragrance. That oil is being poured, and it's because it's in alignment, Aaron's physical body, it's coming from the top, but it's flowing down, and every part of its body, his body gets touched by this anointing because David is saying that's just the way unity works works. Everybody who's unified in that place gets saturated with the anointing, the blessing of God. But this is not just something you can use anywhere. This is specifically for the use of what God has it for. Unity cannot be found outside of the church. It has to be found in Christ. That's where true unity happens. And notice, it's there where there's unity. That's where God commands the blessing. Lastly, he talks about Mount Hermon. He talks about the great dew that falls upon it and runs down. Why does he say this? What does dew bring? It brings much needed nourishment. The water that's needed for plants and things to grow, for animals to eat, all of that is contained, all of that is expressed where there is unity. God is saying when there's unity, the oil flows. When there's unity, the dew falls. When there's unity, life happens, and I command the blessing there. I want us to be homes full of unity, church, a church full of unity, a workplace full of unity, but it takes us living first in Christ. Amen? So I want you to notice this. Unity attracts God's favor and brings his anointing. Unity opens the way for the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen to that. Acts chapter 2, you guys have heard this before. Listen to verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You guys know the context here. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon the people, they were filled with the Spirit. We know this, 3,000 were saved one day, and eventually it got to a point Peter stands up to preach, these people get saved. But what happens next? Well, the believers begin to stay together and live in this community. They begin to adhere to the apostles' teaching and doctrine and prayer and the breaking of bread. They're having community together. And in this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. In this, everyone around is filled with awe. Why? At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. When there's unity like that, the world has to take notice. When there's unity like that, God is glorified. He moves in the midst of his people. The world stops, and they, I love how it says, they were in awe at what God was doing. Why? Because unity opens the way for the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Unity brings health as individuals value one another and care for one another. That's so good. That same chapter in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And this is a beautiful picture of the early church. They recognized if there was a need in our midst, 
we had something we can do to solve that need. So selflessly, they were freely giving, selling of property, selling of possessions, and saying, listen, now I have a little extra. I can bless you. I can help be a blessing to you. I can meet the need that you have. And this was a mutual type of respect and, and a mutual type of action that was happening between the early church believers. This is a beautiful thing that happens. Why? Because unity brings health as individuals value one another and individuals care for one another. Can I just throw this out there? I love that it's not just the leadership of the church that has to supply these type of needs and take care. But if we look at this picture, the people of God were doing it. Come on, can I say that again? The people of God were stepping up and caring for one another. Now, we, we have church and we have structure. We have this. It's beautiful. I love how generous our church is. I'll say that time and time again. This is a generous house. But it's not just generous because our pastor is generous. It's generous because the people of the church are generous. We step up and say, hey, we will give towards that. I love the story of how we've given to Nicaragua and how we've exceeding, exceeded what was set as a goal. That's generosity. That's the generosity of the church. That's how health and life is brought as people care for and meet the needs of one another. Lynn, lastly, I want to say this. Unity becomes a living testimony of the saving and transforming power of Jesus. We've been mentioning this throughout our time together today, but listen to John 17, 23 again. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot over the years about various things, things that have happened. Uh, people have looked at the church in certain ways and misunderstood sometimes the mission of the church. But something that in my own heart I constantly go back to is this. I want to live my life in such a way that when people see my life, they see Jesus. See, there's, there's other things. People can say things about anything, but I want people to look at my life and say, my goodness, the way his life is lived ministers somehow to me. It lets me know that God is real. Jesus is saying, when we walk in unity, then the world will know that God sent him and that God has loved us even as he loved Jesus. You see, unity matters to God. As Christ followers, we are called to value every individual and work for unity. How many of you by a show of hands will say, I, I can do a little better than that? Anybody? My hand is up too. I might as well put them both up. I want to do this as we close today. I want to pray over us. Because the truth is, in the day that we live today, we need unity in the body more than ever. See, we're not trying to hold the world to this standard. They have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, but we have. And because we've submitted to the Lordship, we're saying, Lord, because you're our Lord, we want to submit to your words and what you say. And if unity is what you want us to go after, then that's what will strain every nerve to go after. I want to pray today that we would be people with open hearts. I know this, when we talk about the word unity, it means something different for every single one. All of us have stories. I talked to a man on, on Wednesday. He shared some of his story with me. And I told him, I said, it was absolutely beautiful that you would be transparent with that. Not only that, it was beautiful that I couldn't tell at all by the way you greeted me that you ever had an issue with unity. That's how God works in people. He changes you from the inside out to where whatever your past was, you look so brand new now that people can't even tell you had that history. I want to pray that we'd be a people who submit to God, 
who receive and work hard to work in this unity and live in this unity, and that anything that needs to be cut off would be cut off so we can live in unity for Christ. Can we pray together? Let's bow our heads. Father, we give you the glory and all the honor. You alone are God. We say it again, you alone are God. Today we're talking about unity. We're opening your word and seeing what it is you have to say. And Lord, the truth is you want unity within your body. So Father, we pray today that we would be people of open hearts, willing to stand corrected if necessary, willing to humbly repent if necessary, or willing to even just be instructed on how to grow in unity. Because honestly, we want what you want. We want the world to see that you are real, that you sent Jesus, and that you love us the same way you love him. So Lord, I pray for everybody in this room today, if we need to grow in unity, which I believe we all do, help us by your spirit to do so. Lord, if there are any areas in our lives that are out of alignment with what your word says regarding unity, help us not to try to bend your word to, to fit our lifestyle, but instead help us to correct our lifestyle to fit your word. Lord, wherever there's been disunity, in our homes, in the church, in our personal being with others, we simply confess that is sin and we forsake. And your word says when we confess and forsake, we find mercy. So Lord, I pray over this house today that we would be a church that walks in unity. Every individual celebrating the gifts and the diversity, but no fragmentation, not uniformity, but unity and diversity in Christ Jesus, glorifying God in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Visit us at gracecovenant.org.